0: Jordan and Gretzky, Serena and Ruth Remembering great ones is easy to do oh, But what about the known names who spent their whole lives Lost empty footfalls and kitchen sack flies They're guys, remember that guy Remember that guy, remember that guy Remember that guy, remember that guy, remember that guy. Remember that guy. Remember that guy. Just gonna remember some guys now. The 1-1, the story is grounded to third. Ramona Rios from third. The Orioles have done it. Go crazy, Baltimore! You are the new champions of Remember That Guy, the show where we mine our memories for nuggets of nostalgia about peripheral players past and present. Hey there, folks. It's me, one of your hosts, James, and I am alone right now. Diaz and Xavier are not here. In fact, they do not know that I am recording this right now. This is a little surprise for everyone. Um, For myself as well. I I didn't know I was going to do this. We talked about this in the episode that we recorded the day of Clinchmas. And I did not feel at that time comfortable with talking about the Orioles. But it is something that Xavier and Diaz have very much wanted me to do over this time. And so I decided that today I was going to talk to you, dear listener, about the Orioles. I'm also going to, I think, kind of talk myself about the orioles talk through the feelings that i have uh, about this team right now and i don't know how long this is going to go if you have clicked on this you do know how long this is going to go presumably it said so there in the app and it will exclusively be about me talking about the orioles so feel free to exit at any moment but before talking about the 2023 orioles i want to talk about a team i've talked about many times which is the 2009 and i want to talk specifically about the season finale that year i remember it very vividly this is shit start of junior year of high school i guess and we got a good crew out this one we got like eight or ten of us beautiful day playing toronto they uh they a couple toronto fans in the section wearing polos just the tightest fucking polos you've ever seen in our entire lives one of our good friends justice you know said to these gentlemen at one point hey wear a tighter shirt, and that was within our vernacular for the rest of the time in high school. I mean, none of that means anything to any of you, but it just, I think, illustrates, to me at least, how much that game remained in my mind. And this is, I want to make clear, a fucking meaningless game. Could not be more meaningless. So the, the season finale against the Jays, they win. They do win. It's a walk-off. Uh, Michael Aubrey is the guy that scores the winning run and is a walk-off bunt single by Jeff Fiorentino. It's pandemonium as we celebrate this incredibly feel-good win, the sweep of Toronto that finishes a 64-98 and season. And neither of those two guys ever play another game in Major League Baseball after that win. its I think this is the part of my life where I started to accept that I should not be looking for heroes at Camden Yards because I will not find any heroes there. This was you know, a season full of rookie call-ups and exciting debuts and they still finished 34 fucking games below 500. I cannot stress how awful this team has has been in my life, but I want to I mean, I feel like for anyone to understand how I feel now, you have to really contextualize how atrocious they've been. So since the turn of the millennium, the Orioles have as many hundred lost seasons as they do playoff trips. From 2000 to 2011, the best that they ever finished was third. They made third one time in 2004 where they managed to miraculously hold onto a winning record until the very end of May when they were 24 and 23. Never had a winning record again the rest of that season. They are losers. The sports that you watch when you're young teach you how the world works and i don't necessarily mean that they give you an accurate representation of how the world works but they create for you your philosophy your expectations on how the world works and what things are going to happen throughout your own life just in society you know will good things happen to good people no not necessarily Uh, Will good things happen to bad people? Yeah, probably. The Yankees have a lot of championships. And, I mean, this is what I came to learn. Like, my worldview is built around my experience watching the Orioles. I can be a kind of cynical sports fan. There's maybe a chicken-and-the-egg conversation to be had there. You know, am I cynical because my sports team sucks shit, or am I cynical about my sports teams because I was just a depressed and pessimistic person in the first place? We can't necessarily partition all that out, but needless to say, the Orioles sucked. So all of us that were there that 2009 year, the last year that, like, that big group was able to really get together for a season finale, you will, I think, forgive us for assuming, as the year 2012 rolled in, that we were seeing a mirage. Because you're telling me that this team (laughs) that's got a top three in the rotation of fucking... Chris Tillman, Wayne Chen, and Miguel Gonzalez. Like, love them all very much. But you tell me that team is going to have a winning season? They're still going to make the playoffs? It's absurd. It's, it's unbelievable. And it was, to an extent, Orioles magic. We bandy that term about a lot here in the city of Baltimore. And 2012 was magical. And so in the next four years after that, that five-year stretch from 2012 to 2016, never forget. Never forget that the Orioles won more games in the American League than any other team during that period. But full stop. No other team from 2012 to 2016 in the American League won more games than the Baltimore Orioles. But at the same time, you know it's easy to be a loser franchise when you are quite literally losing. When you're putting up 62 and 100 seasons every year, sure, of course you're a loser franchise. It takes a special kind of loser to be the winningest team in the American league over a five-year stretch. And when a grand total of zero games in the ALCS or further fuck to only make the ALCS once it's it beggars belief that was as much as anything, a vindication of the cynicism that I've always had that even in this brightest spot, which to be clear, I enjoyed immensely and I, loved so deeply so many of those players and still think about them constantly but i mean going back to you know us seeing how the world works good things happening to good people or good things happening to bad people the red sox finished last place in three out of four years and they won a fucking championship in the other one meanwhile we are just grinding out these good if unspectacular teams and they are giving us good but ultimately unspectacular results and When that ends, I mean, when that's your highlight and that's over and you stare down the barrel of hoping that the next people to come in are going to not only be able to meet this, you know, in many ways, ultimately dissatisfying end, but try and exceed it so it's not so dissatisfying. it's, It's daunting to look at that and to really believe. And I did I did I think I've said many times on this show like I firmly deep in my heart even now do not believe that the Baltimore Orioles will ever win a championship. I simply don't think it's going to happen. And you know, there as you get older, I think there comes a certain peace with accepting how much certain things suck whether that's accepting that maybe a movie or a tv show or a band that you liked wasn't as good as you thought they were when it was younger you can still appreciate it just as you know growing up with these teams shapes your worldview eventually you need to i don't know if just your worldview is necessarily the accurate description but you know your worldview is going to reflect what you're seeing and I decided to reflect what I was seeing by accepting that the Orioles were just bad. This is what it was always going to be. I I know it wasn't always what it was. I know there was a bright time once upon a time in the past, but I, I just couldn't relate to that the way that older folks in Baltimore who saw all that can. And so they were losers. And there is a piece in that. And that was the piece that I think I really sought comfort in the last couple of years because there is I mean there's a rhythm that all sports provides they are seasons just like the seasons of the year whether you are somewhere where those are just wet and dry whether you are somewhere where those are just hot and cold whether you have here in the mid-atlantic all four beautiful miserably disgusting seasons in equal measure and there is a sense of time and a rhythm that in particular i think a bad team provides because you don't you don't think about a bad team in the offseason all that much even as someone that is admittedly fucking obsessed with the orioles i i don't think about them in the offseason that much i've got the ravens i've got the san antonio spurs i guess vancouver also exists um and so you can put them out of your mind until spring training rolls around maybe you get optimistic about a couple players when the season comes, maybe they go on an early streak. You know, the always do. Then it always peters out. And that's fine. Because you know that for six months, every single night, you can hang out with the birds. And you also know when they're bad. It's going to end exactly six months after that. It'll end on the last day of the season. There is a definite end point. I think the fact that there's a definite endpoint maybe that's where the peace was coming from. Because I know every year... There will be, when the Orioles are bad, a last time that I can go to the yard and I can see them and I can be with them and I can be with the other fans around me. You get that sense of closure on a season. You get to know ahead of time that you're going to end it then and so you get to try and end it on your own terms a little bit more. Some of those other seasons, I mean, the ways at the end. So in 2012, that group of friends from 2009, we were all in college by this point. We're all scattered to the winds. A few of us still in Maryland, but some of us down in Florida. I was in Philly. We're still big emailers at this time. I hadn't really had a cell phone before leaving high school. So all of us were like on email threads every night, just losing our mind off this team. That The 2012 team truly like did not have any uh, business being as good as it was. Pythagorean win record will show that but it didn't matter. They, the 2012 Orioles made the fucking playoffs and Joe Saunders went out there and outdulled Hugh Darvish and then the ALDS also happened. But like, I, I love thinking back to how that ended and how all of us, I don't know. We didn't talk a lot at that point in the off season. We all had other things going on. We all had new interests, new friends. We we're all living in new places And we got to hang out just a little bit longer in this email chain that year than we ever had before. And then 2014 rolls around. I finally kind of caught up with texting at this point. So we got our group chat. And again, just... I mean, they were an actually good team that year, I should clarify. I remember so vividly the night that they clinch. I'm working at this old job in Philadelphia. This old fake early 20th century uh, ice cream parlor. I'm on my break when they beat those same Toronto Blue Jays and I have to come back down and work four more hours of a shift. I come down to the floor. I didn't even realize that I was crying until one of my coworkers pointed it out. Not a single other fucking Orioles fan. there on staff, but you know, they had known this was coming for weeks. I've been talking about it for weeks and I got to share with them. I got to share with my friends and then even down and then even by 2016, um, things start to be a little different in my relationship with the Orioles. And I think this is another thing like that rhythm that has made this difficult for me to process 2023 as it's happening. This, I have also mentioned on this show before I had a very dear friend, someone that I used to attend every opening day with in high school. We made a couple in college as well as Xander and he passed away shortly after the 2015 season due to a, undiagnosed congenital heart defect that just came out of nowhere it was fucking horrible uh for me for a while and it made that 2016 season really hard um something else that made that 2016 season hard was that was another pretender team that was not an actually good Orioles team they got into the playoffs yeah sure Zach Britton was fucking incredible Zach Britton should have won the Cy Young for the record Rick Porcello's 2016 Cy Young award One of the most fraudulent awards in baseball history. But that's beside the point. Um, When that season ended, and it looked like it was the end of a certain era. You know, I talked myself into 2017 a little bit before the year. We were pretty quickly disabused of that notion in early July. It became clear what we were about to stare down. There um, There were parts of me that was almost excited that Xander didn't have to see how bad it got. And there were parts of me that found that peace that I've mentioned before in the losing because it felt like returning to the team that I watched with Xander and all of our other friends for all those years. Like they sucked. They sucked shit all over again, just like they always had. It was the same Orioles that we knew and loved. Xander had always been very bad at handling how bad our team was. Uh, I love this about him deeply. Like by high school, even then, I was pretty chill when we went out to a game and they got their asses beat. Ah, yeah, fuck it. We gotta go back to school in the morning, dude. We can't dwell on this too long. He just took every single loss so hard. He just wanted so badly for the Orioles to be good, even more than I do. Um, I mean, like I've said, I in some ways, I almost wish they wouldn't get good because of just the difficulty in embracing change. Sometimes I thought about how Xander took losses in the lead up to this week. Cause I was thinking about Brandon Hyde. Who's been the manager of the O's now since 2019. He's had some pretty bad seasons from, from 2017 to 2021. Again, just to put into context, how fucking dreadful this Orioles franchise has been in our lifetimes. They went 253 and 455. That is a 357 win percentage over a full year. It's 58 wins four straight seasons, sorry, five, five straight seasons of 58-win ball. It wears on you. My God, does it fucking wear on you. It wore on the team in 2017, clearly. It wore on everyone even more. 2018, got Buck Showalter kicked to the curb. And Brandon Hyde comes in, and it does not, I mean, technically it gets better. I think we set the you know franchise record for losses in 2018 at least before he came through but god we've lost a shitload of games from there and during the ramp up to them eventually clinching playoff spots and divisions and whatnot Brandon Hyde has talked about how hard he took those losses and you know he's very frank he's like look I didn't I didn't have the same amount of talent that a lot of other teams did But that didn't make me feel any less for the guys that were in the dugout. Didn't make it any easier for him to stomach, you know, going out there every day. And genuinely, I believe, trying their best. You know, players don't tank. Teams and organizations can tank. Players don't fucking tank. The Orioles were not bad for lack of trying. But God, were they fucking bad. And then... I don't think this is a revolutionary thing to say. The best year of any core for any sport is the surprise year. And that was obviously for the Orioles last year. Out of nowhere, having lost 110 games the season before, Adley Rushman comes up and, I mean, many other people come up, but like let's oversimplify it for a moment. Adley Rushman comes up and the world changes. And including the series before that, now the Orioles... Just don't get swept anymore. Just doesn't happen, apparently. They've won, I think, 160-something games since he came up. They you know, they they had their first winning season in quite some time. Now they've had, as of now, and could climb even a little bit higher, their seventh best season all time. For a 70-year-old franchise. This is an old fucking team. Yeah, it's not one of the 19th century teams, but it's pretty fucking old. Apparently, all it took was you know just getting a generational switch-hitting catcher, and unfortunately, Matt Weathers didn't turn out to quite be that. But Adley Richmond does seem to be that. And so the O's are what they are last year, and going going back to Xander for a second, like it's tough in some ways to see all of this success and to know that there are some people that didn't make it, like it. I could have just as easily. I mean, I got hit by a fucking truck a few months ago. I got, could have killed me. I never would have seen this year. You know, Some people that are with us every season will not be with us next season. And it feels cruel that time continues. And these things that you use to mark time, like the seasons of the year or the seasons of your team, they don't ever slow down for anyone, be they members of the team, members of the organization, just fans... Nothing stops, nothing slows down. In many ways, it exists completely independently of all of us. I really like the bit that Jimmy Fallon says for a while, though, in, in Fever Pitch, when he's talking about how the team doesn't ever disappoint you. Like, yeah, they, they disappoint you. He's talking about the Red Sox, I'm talking about the Orioles. Both those franchises have been very disappointing at various times. But he's right that when they lose, they fucking show up the next day. So maybe that's a cruel indifference of time, that it just keeps going on without us, but at the same time, maybe that's what you need to try and find peace in now. Maybe that's what I need to try and find peace in now. Sorry, let me stop projecting onto you, dear listener. Maybe that's how I need to find peace, is knowing that it continues, regardless of what people think, and regardless of what people and fans even believe, uh, myself included. So I mean, 2022, it's incredible. It is objectively just fun and good. God, the the unbearable lightness of potential versus the crushing weight of expectations. Uh, what a difference a year makes. And coming into this year, I mean, that's the other crazy thing. Is people have no expectations for us. I mean, I, I was talking earlier this week with one of my friends, um, a member of that illustrious group from back in 2009, my dear friend Paul. And we were talking about how our star of the year, Paul enjoys wagering some money on games we'll say from time to time not infrequently he likes to put some money on sporting events um he had approached me early in the year he's like what what do you think about the Orioles? what what are we thinking i'm i'm a little bit more of a sicko with the team than he is and i said look you you smash the over on the river or something like 76 and a half they're not going to get seven games worth smash the over hell smash over 500 i think they're a winning team this year And if you're feeling spicy go ahead and bet on the playoffs Yeah, go crazy you're lighting money on fire if you think they're going to win the division. Like, I mean, go for it. That's your poison. Like, Have fun. But you're you're lighting that money on fire. <laughs> and there were so many times this whole year, like, again, I'm a fucking cynical person. And I wish I wasn't. Like, I, I hope no one adopts my mindset towards the sport. I hope if I ever have children that they are far healthier people about supporting these teams I hope they don't support my teams to be completely honest I don't want them to get disappointed the way I always do but there were so many opportunities for that stuff to play into my expectations of them letting us down it felt like you know even from the get-go like yeah they they're winning pretty early on but there's something about the broken person that I am where every single loss feels like this huge momentous confirmation of all of the expectations i've had all the expectations that prognosticators like fangrass have had like oh this team's gonna come crashing down any minute and all the wins oh that's just background noise we'll regress to the mean eventually and i kept saying that and saying that and saying that and perhaps almost to spite me the team just kept fucking winning and they tried to embarrass themselves some other ways you know John Angelos tried to talk about eminent domaining an entire neighborhood around the stadium. He uh, punished one of the beloved commentators, Kevin Brown, who I quoted there at the start of the show, to uh, ban him for simply stating that the Orioles have been bad in the past couple of years, and now we're not anymore. There are so many chances for what was shaping up to be a fun season to suddenly come crashing down. And then finally, at the start of September, I I feel like I kind of just woke up and finally accepted that something good might happen. That has kind of always been my approach to the Orioles, is I expect the worst possible thing to happen, and a lot of the times it has. It's it's backed me up pretty consistently a lot of the time. I just, I, I could no longer ignore the fact that yeah, I mean, they were, this was probably going to end up being, by all objective accounts, a good season. And that was when the process of me trying to just accept that really started. I wasn't fighting it anymore. I was like, how, how am I going to view this? What I started thinking about was how things started with Adley. You know, I was at Adley's first game. And if you've been listening to RTG for a while, you heard me talk about that because there was another phenomenal rookie debut that day along with Adley Rutschman. And that was my boy Jackson, this absolutely delightful five-year-old whom I sat next to, him and his dad, during Adley's debut. It was Jackson's first ever Orioles game. I asked him who his favorite player was. He said Adley Rutschman because it's Adley's first Orioles game also. Uh, And so I decided that Jackson and I were best friends. And I was thinking about Jackson this last week. Because, man, Jackson only knows glory J- Jackson much like anyone that's only watched the Orioles since Ali Rutschkin came out never seen the Orioles get swept i've seen the Orioles lose 19 straight games really recently and Jackson has never seen the Orioles even be swept i've always had this cognitive dissonance with my mom who grew up in Baltimore saw all three of the world series wins and you know the other three appearances always talks about how the summer where she graduated college and the Orioles won the world series. I mean, it's the greatest summer of her life. Why wouldn't it be? And, uh, I mean, she always, you know, for that reason, had faith in the Orioles. She had seen them succeed and I had not, and I didn't believe that they could. And I'm so happy to know that there is a chance for people like Jackson to grow up, never having those same gross, pessimistic thoughts that I had. Now, okay, let's let's talk about the the clinching itself for a moment because I, I spent the whole week as we led into it of home games going every night in our countdown to Clinchmas and going with a different friend every night, again, just trying to remember what it is about sports that we do in the first place. It's about connections with the people we watch with. It's about connections with the people that we watch. It's about reminding yourself when you go to a stadium, on a Thursday night in September filled with 30,000-something people that there are other people in the world who want that thing that you want more than anything else just as much as you do. And you are all in it together. You are all stressing out together. And it's it's a really special experience. And it was very special to be in there. And I wanted to savor that because going into this, I think the last thing, you know, there, three points that I think made it hard for me to really own into the season. One is missing the rhythm of a shitty team. One is the hurt that I feel that not everyone who deserves to get to see this team is getting to see it. And then, the way that people have talked about this team all year, because there's a strong young core. Adley, Gunner, G-Rod, D.L. Hall, Jordan Westbrook, Heston Kierstad, I could keep fucking going... What that has led to is a lot of people talking about how exciting this beginning of an era for the Orioles is. This window is opening. I saw Lamar Jackson's unanimous MVP season. I still believe that that was the greatest football season anyone's ever authored, all time. Sorry, the next time someone rushes for 1,000 yards, leads the league in yards per carry, and leads the league in passing touchdowns, I'll reevaluate that. But for right now, Lamar Jackson has the greatest football season of all time. And he lost his only playoff game that year. And they've won one since then. And I love Lamar Jackson. He's so much fun to watch. I'm so happy he was with the Ravens. I have no complaints whatsoever about the Lamar Jackson era. But it also illustrates the the thing that I try to make a positive spin out of my belief that the Orioles will never win a World Series, which is that sports is not about championships. Why the watching sports for championships is the dumbest thing you can do to yourself. Because a core is gonna get one fucking shot. Maybe a dynasty gets a couple. But like most sports cores, most sports teams where you, you put people together, spend these years developing them, spend these years drafting them, you go out and get your free agents, you pray and hope and wish for one year where all of the injury luck lines up just right, all the matchups are perfect, you get all the breaks that you need, you get one shot. You know, I saw that game, I saw the Canucks made the Stanley Cup Finals in 2011. I saw the 2014 Orioles. The only time that I've ever even remotely entertained the idea that maybe I was wrong about a title. And and those teams didn't get second shots. Sometimes you do. Sometimes the Spurs follow up 2013 with 2014. Sometimes, you know, the Chiefs, like three and four years. Again, some dynasties persist, but cores get one shot. And there was this presumption that it felt like everyone had about this Orioles franchise, where everything's going to be coming up roses now. No one has ever turned things around as quickly as this team. It is legitimately unprecedented for any team in the history of organized professional baseball in North America to go from 100 losses to 100 wins in two seasons or fewer. It never happened. And we may never see it again. This is unprecedented shit and that is why it's fucking wild to me that people are are starting to make all of these, again, presumptions about what's going to happen. And how much fun the next couple years are going to be. And I think hearing all of these people talk about my team that I've been so down on for so long. With this sureness about how those dog days are over, bright and sunny mornings ahead. And I just couldn't... I couldn't get with it. I couldn't get with the thought that those are over, and that made it really tough to appreciate what this is. Because, fuck, man, what if this is it? And that's not me saying like, what if this is their only shot at the title again? I, th- the playoffs is a is a tournament where you have to be lucky. You simply have to be lucky. You also, it, it helps to be good. Most teams that win the tournament are also good, but you have to be lucky. Whereas, in order to win a division, then you have to be fucking good. So that's really what I had to get down with. I had to look at this here and stop thinking about what other people were saying and worrying about what luck is going to shake out. Because they might shake out well. They might get swept in the... Well, they won't get swept in the first round. They might get swept in the second round. And that's fine. They proved for... A full year. They proved me wrong. Proved a lot of other people wrong. And they proved that they were a good team. Rather than a lucky team. I doubt that I will ever see them win 100 games again. I'd love to be wrong. And there was finally a moment where I was able to just... Kind of flip a switch almost it felt like. And... Just be happy that this season happened. You know, I didn't... I didn't want this one shot that we get, and this is indeed our one shot, to just be like, oh yeah, they made a wild card game, it was fun, they lost, and we moved on, and then they never really quite hit those heights, like, I, in 10, 20, 30 years, however long the earth still exists, 30 years for the earth existing, I, again, I'm a very cynical person, um, I won't forget last night, I won't, stop enjoying last night if they lose in the ALDS and the ALCS in the World Series. I won't lose track of how special last night was if they lose the next 10 seasons. Fuck it, I've seen them lose 15 years in a row. Whatever. They suck again. They truly didn't suck for a little bit and that's worth something. So the game last night where they did it was very narratively special. And there's a few different reasons for that. Um, you can actually like look at the game itself and like the way that the people who were most integral in it came to the teams. The starting pitcher, Dean Kramer, really the only thing that we got out of the Manny Machado trade when the teardown truly began in earnest in 2018. And, it, I mean, before last year, it kind of looked like we got nothing out of that. And then Dean Kramer came alive a little bit. And it's had another great follow-up to that. Team Israel legend, we don't need to talk about that part too much, but Dean Kramer, absolutely lights out for five and third. The solo shot that was the only run of the game, for most of it was Anthony Santander. Venezuelan Rule 5 pick had come to the team even before the teardown started, played through all of these terrible years, wasn't a really good defender early on, so largely got to play because of how terrible we were all through those years. You know, Got that opportunity for that reason. Many things in common with his compatriot, Jose Altuve, And then you think about the guy that delivered the other RBI later on, Heston Kierstadt. He's this you know, he's picked during a COVID year, it was a bizarre draft, and then he has an undiagnosed congenital heart defect that might end his career in baseball before it ever began. And Heston Kierstadt just becomes this ghost for a couple of years before all of a sudden getting to finally like play a little bit at the end of last year and truly play an earnest professional ball this year and just shoot up in the majors by September. i sorry, not by September, in September. He delivers that double. The guy that scores, Adam Frazier, we have only ever signed these one-year veterans for any free agent deals. They've all largely been just fucking slapdick dudes. Rudnett Odor, Michael Franco, Freddie Galvis. They've been fun. Adam Frazier's been fun, too. I said a lot of shit about Adam Frazier when we signed him. I will look back finally on Adam Frazier's time and... You know, this pinch hitter, he comes in, he gets on base. And then it's closed out by yet another Rule 5 draft. Tyler Wells, a guy who really represented, I think, a lot of my biggest fears about this season crumbling down when I was waiting for that other shoe to drop. You know, another very good pitcher through the full first half of the season. Maybe could have been an all-star if you were looking for more Orioles pitchers. And then just runs out of gas in that second half starts getting absolutely lit the fuck up. in a few consecutive starts gets sent down to double A initially, not even triple A. But now, you know, just to keep him useful on the roster, he's been temporarily converted into a reliever. Presumably he gets built back out next year. And here he comes in to close, inarguably, the biggest game in my lifetime for the Orioles. So that was all big. But I got to the game late. And the thing that I am going to remember more than anything, I'm there, with my friend, a Red Sox fan, but one who's you know from the area, and he's happy to be a part of Clinchmas this evening. He's good sport about it all. We get there late, hang around the flag court for a little bit. We go up to our seats, beers in hand, sit down. And Dear, huh? dear listener, I swear to God. That the second I look up from my phone in those seats and I look to the Jumbotron. It's panning through the audience. I think we're mid-fourth inning right now. And lo and behold, I see a woman I know named Shannon on that screen. And I know Shannon because Shannon is my late buddy's Andrew's mom. Um, not kept as good of a touch as I'd like to because it's it's tough, I'm sure, for them even more so than it is for me. And I, for so many years in my life, I have expected the worst from my teams. Because that way, if things go badly, at least I was right. And all day, I decided, fuck it, man. It's clinchmas. Let's feel that clinch spirit. It's beginning to feel a lot like clinchmas. Simply having a wonderful clinchmas time, my cousin and I are texting ourselves these all day. We think we're very funny. I I had truly, in my heart of hearts, I don't know if I had convinced myself of this before this day. I definitely said positive things about the Orioles prior to this day, but I don't know if I had deep down allowed myself to buy in to even any one night. Oh, yeah, they're winning tonight. They're winning tonight. I had told myself all day they're winning tonight, and I got to that ballpark, and I saw Shannon up on the screen, and... How how the fuck could we not win after that? Uh, after the top of the eighth. God, what a fucking shutdown inning by Yin Your Cano and CNL Perez. But after the top of the eighth, we head back down. I wanted to be on the ground floor when it happened. Just wanted to be with the people. And we go out to the flag court with all the statues, the Brooks Robinson one there is, of course, the, currently a memorial where there's a line where you can get behind some stanchions to take a selfie with the Brooks Robinson Memorial. It, it's a little weird, but, I mean, I, that's just the time we live in. Um, besides anyone who knows knows that the outside Brooks Robinson Memorial by Pickles Pub is the one that fans paid for, although we also paid for everything in Camden Yards because John angelus is cheap. I'm sorry, I'm getting beside myself. This is not... That's not important. We're talking about good things. We're talking about good, positive things right now. Um, I did not expect this to be a life-changing moment. And it wasn't, to be clear. Like, obviously, this was not a life-changing moment when the final out was recorded. But, boy, it was life-affirming in a way that I didn't really anticipate and was very pleasantly surprised by. Um, At one point... I was going to wrap this up with thanks to just many of the players that have seen us through this, both the shitty years before that mid aughts run, that 2010s run itself, and then all the years in between that and what the team is now, and also all the guys on the team now. I mean, I want to thank every orally. You know, I. So we have the bit on this show, or anyone who's played for one of our teams is a legend. And like. Yeah, we're playing it up a little bit because we're trying to be entertaining on this. But if you play for one of my teams, I want to make it clear. like The moment you put that jersey on, you've acquired legend status. You can only lose legend status from that point on. People like, if we're talking about Orioles, Kurt Schilling and Aubrey Huff. Those guys have lost legend status. But like anyone that plays, you've got it. You're starting with it. You are a legend to me. Anyone who tries to make me as an Orioles fan feel better by playing well for the Orioles is legendary as hell. So I was going to go through that long list. Um, our good friend Connor Newcomb over at Locked On Orioles, he sprinkled that in enough into his episode of that today that I think it would be a little redundant for me to do that. So I will just recommend that you check out the Friday, September 29th episode of Locked On Orioles. He also talks a lot about making sure that we appreciate this in the moment. And I want to make sure that that I do that too. And Um, I want to appreciate all the people that came with me to games this year. Um, my parents, my wife, my sister, my cousin, um, a bunch of friends like Paul and Brandon and Steven, who were all there with me this past week for the countdown to clinch miss. Um, you know, all of the friends from our fantasy leagues, DS and Xavier among them that have been out there with me to games this year. It's, I I fucking love the Orioles so much. And to get to enjoy it with so many people that I also love so much has been so special. And so I just want to thank them. I want to thank uh, producer Craig and all of the coders behind him. I want to thank Sports Reference for all of my fancy numbers. I want to thank musical director Don Ham for our lovely theme music. I want to thank Diaz and Xavier for hopefully not being mad when they realized that I recorded an entire uh, (laughs) going on kind of long episode without them at this point. And most of all, dear listener, I want to thank you for putting up with uh, a host who insisted for much of this season on being miserable about what is inarguably one of the greatest seasons in their franchise's history. Thank you for listening also to me just talk about this now and, and... just feel in front of you performatively. And I think that's all I have to say. Um, so I've been James. And as fans of the 1989 Orioles roster might say, if they were also fans of this show, Guy not. It's baby we're in this thing to stay. Now the olds are going.